0: Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge presented by Curriculum Track, a brief retreat from your daily routine to explore the latest thinking and practices for faith-based educators and instructional leaders from all over. Join us as we swap innovative ideas geared towards promoting your school's mission, and we'll keep the conversation as fresh as you like your coffee. Hey there. Have you ever dropped into the teacher's lounge at your school only to realize that you're entering into the middle of a conversation? Or perhaps you just missed the best part? That's sort of what's going on in today's episode. This is part two of a longer conversation. But the good news is that we got everything on tape. So while we believe the second part will be just as enjoyable and helpful as the first, and like the first, it's rich enough to stand alone, we would also encourage you to consider listening to part one of this episode in order to get the full picture. We don't want you to miss out. If you're ready to go with part two, let's jump in. So you put together steps for reviewing curriculum, and we'll share this in the show notes for this podcast Ooh, and maybe through okay. blog and stuff as well. So we will make this available, but tell us what drove you to put together a document outlining your process? I'm sure you've gone through this process a time or two, mm-hmm. and now you've put this document together, but what drove you to that?
1: Two things really motivated me. First of all, now that I have this nice little office, and this is the first time in 37 years that I'm not teaching any classes, wasn't really even planned that way, but it just happened that way. I do have, don't tell the teachers this, but you know, a little more uh-huh. extra time, and my time's kind of my own as long as I get all my projects done. And so I spend more time looking at your blog and the interactions that people have with Curriculum Track, also because we remember the Association of Christian Schools International. I read their daily forum. And a lot of times people are reaching out on there and asking questions that aren't in my wheelhouse. I see more and more questions coming up from folks that really need some help in this curriculum review area because they're like me. They were a teacher, an athletic director or something, and their school wanted to start having a curriculum person, maybe full or part-time. They took on the job But they might not even have any formalized training in how to do it. So they're like, okay, here I am. Where do I start? And by the way, I have formalized training in this. And they didn't really even teach this in graduate school. There wasn't any kind of day where they gave you a handout and said, woohoo, when you get to your school, this is what you do. The second reason why I was really compelled to put it down on paper this year is because we just finished this last school year, the biggest review I've ever done. Mm. I felt like it went well. It's a little quick at this point in the school year to say that it was successful. We haven't had the curriculum for a whole year even yet. But feedback has been positive thus far. So I feel like we did a good job using the process and making the final decision. I thought I would just go ahead and put it down on paper. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We'll share this, so we don't necessarily need to read it word for word, but I want to go through each step and just pick your brain and get to the thinking behind the thoughts. So step one is establish a team. Who do you look for? What qualifications are you looking for when you put a team of people together to start reviewing curriculum?
1: We have this joke in our school because our head of school loves the phrase task force. Everything needs to be a task force with him. For some reason, that's just really seemed, woo, we're getting the job done. Now, we reviewed math last year, and frankly, we did need a task force because (laughs) because it was a big deal and it was an urgent need. So now we just jokingly call it a task force every year. I like to go with the volunteer before the voluntold method. First, I let all the teachers know that this is the topic we are reviewing this year. If you would like to be on the task force, please let me know in an email. And by the way, one of the reasons I like doing this is because there might be somebody who doesn't even teach in this content area, but is interested in curriculum. That could almost be like a mentoring thing because they're joining the committee. They can be learning from me and others how to review curriculum. Maybe someday they'll be doing it for our school. But you do want a sampling of people across the grades in your school. Because obviously, you're going to be wanting to look at different grade levels. So you need somebody who either teaches that grade or knows quite a lot about it. If I don't get a good sampling of people from my volunteer plea, then I actually start reaching out to teachers. We don't have a huge upper school to where we have like multiple people teaching the same content area. Really, everybody in our upper school who teaches in that content area is expected the year that they're areas being reviewed, they need to be on the committee. Then like in the elementary, I really just need every other grade or every two or three grades. And we have an abundance of K to two teachers this year that are brand new. Well, those are not going to be your people for a curriculum review team because they're overwhelmed learning their job. And they have no experience with your curriculum. You might have to skip a few grade levels, but get a variety of people together. Um, you know, I, I think really if you got six, eight people, that is plenty, then you're ready to agree together on a best time to meet.
0: Do you find that teachers are generally positive and excited to be a part of this? Or is there more volunteering going on than volunteering? <laughs>
1: You know, actually, at our school, it really has been pretty much a volunteer group. I had people volunteer this year. Immediately, I did have to remind the upper school teachers that they kind of were obligated to be on it because you're the science teacher. And the thing is, if you are the science teacher, you do want to give input. Absolutely. So there's a natural feeling of, okay, this is another meeting for me every month, but I would like to have an opportunity to have some input in what my school's choosing And what I'm going to be teaching in the future, it's usually not a hard sell.
0: I was going to say it's probably one of the few areas that teachers can actually speak into mm-hmm. the decisions that will affect their daily life in a very tangible way. So it seemed like it'd be pretty easy. So then step two, as you alluded to, is to set regular meeting times. What does that look like?
1: We find that once a month up until maybe the very end when we're getting near to decision making time is adequate and reasonable. We, like every school, we already have some built-in monthly meetings. Our teachers are expected to attend. So uh, I don't want to overburden them with meetings or you would lose your help. We have chosen to meet once a month after school for one hour. This kind of comes up in one of the other steps, but one of the reasons why this works out well is because once we start looking at curriculums, I like to plan to actually have some Zoom interaction with the publishing companies. They love to have a chance to sell their stuff in person. And we find that some in-person interaction with them really helps us to get to know their curriculum better, so we incorporate that into our monthly meetings as well. Now, I will say, though, there's side work and not in abundance. If you're on the task force, you're going to be asked to take two or three exam copies of books and look through them, and then offer your observations at the next meeting. So between meetings, you are getting two or three companies' worth of books. And, you know, we sometimes do ask people to look at the books that are not necessarily on the committee and also give us input the committee members head that up as far as looking at the physical copies of the books so that they can use that to weigh in on the decision making. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's step three, right, where you send out a review form and uh, ask the teachers or the people of the committee to look through that. What's that review form like? Are you giving them a series of questions to answer or what is that like?
1: Yes. Actually, the initial review form is not anything that's specifically connected to the books that we're going to be examining for use. It's the what's going well and isn't going well with what we presently use. Curriculum review does not automatically mean we're getting rid of everything we have and going with all fresh books. Going into it, usually this is an area where we need to make radical changes. Or this is an area where we're pretty okay with a lot of what we're doing and might not even end up changing books. But we're still going to review it to see if we can find things like, for example, one question is, what are we doing well? Another would be, in what areas do you see gaps in coverage of standards or contents from grade to grade? Where do the students seem not fully prepared when they come to your class? Maybe that's a teaching issue, but maybe that really is a fault of a particular textbook that doesn't cover something sufficiently. What do you like about your current textbook? What do you dislike or consider to be ineffective? So we try to get teachers in every single grade level, whether they're on the committee or not, to fill out one of these forms. So we collect some data on what we're currently using to evaluate the merits of continuing to use it and also to use that as a starting point when we're looking at new books.
0: And then you get samples. So you reach out to samples and do you find that most publishers are happy to do they they provide samples do you have to purchase samples what is that typically like oh
1: the samples well i wish sometimes it could be different but i do understand at the risk of stereotyping the secular versus the christian publishers the truth is the secular companies are these giant machines and they've got a lot of money and they will send you entire tote bags full of materials and never care to see them again You know, here it is. You can have a sample of everything literally behind me. Right now in my office, I have like six tote bags and they will never want them back. It's a full set of curriculum for science for a whole grade. However, the Christian companies, and I understand this, they cannot afford to do that. So you got to save the boxes, the packing slip, store those somewhere in your crowded building and pack it all back up. Now, some companies will ask you to pay for return shipping some will ask you to just call them and they will send you some UPS mailing labels but it's all got to go back and the sad thing I'll say this because it happened to us this fall the sad thing is if somebody loses the book doesn't get it back to you you have to pay for it in those cases and it might be a book you're not even going to use so you have to be really careful with your samples. People are starting to learn, okay, in this company, we can keep it. In this company, she's going to want it back.
0: Yeah, so tracking those samples, maintaining those samples, that could be a major headache.
1: It's not my favorite part of the job, but, you know.
0: That's a necessary evil, I would say. Something that just has to be done. You want to look at those physical copies probably. You mentioned that there's a lot more online. These days.
1: Because I'm old school. I don't really care to have a situation where the company says, well, I'm going to send you a little flip book and you can just review our curriculum online. That's an okay secondary source, but I want the physical textbook, So I'll do whatever, whatever it takes to get the physical books into the school. I also like to spread like all three versions out and go, yeah. you know, like I'm looking at the same chapter to see how each company covers it and let me just pause right here and say somebody is going to listen to this and say, Ooh, that woman's got time on her hands. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I like doing it. So that's one reason I do it, but I realize that's some depth. Maybe not everybody's going to have, but I like to do that. Some of the companies though, if they do have an online component, they'll send you like a link that you can also view that, you know, like you can see a sampling of their online offerings but I'm going back now to these Zoom meetings that we have with the publishing companies. If you set up a Zoom in which they're going to demo their curriculum for you, explain their philosophy, explain the components, then you're going to get real exposure to what they offer online as well as in addition to the textbook.
0: Yeah. Plus the opportunity to ask questions. Oh, yes. Yes. So step four is to get samples, step five is to do more review, you distribute samples to the corresponding members and talk through that, but you provide a comparison form. Mm -hmm. To what extent do you evaluate textbooks for mission alignment, Mm -hmm. civil opportunities? Is that part of the review process?
1: I think it's important to kind of identify what those real key areas are going to be. It's a good thing to do in your first team meeting of the year, because at that point you won't have gotten in your sample copies yet anyway. So as you just come together, figure out how you're going to work together for the year, it's great to have a discussion on what are our priorities right here. And of course your mission of your school, uh, ex- expected student outcomes that you might have, that's going to be number one in a sense, you know. But then what else are you as a committee going to be looking for from a curriculum? And maybe just list a few things that can become your major checkpoints as you look through books. For example, are your test scores in the dumpster? All right. Well, you're looking to beef up test scores that's one of your goals. Or are you looking for something that aligns with a particular set of standards? Like if you use state standards or something like that, that's gonna be a primary goal. I'll tell you for us in math this last year, one of our major goals was that component of being able to differentiate instruction. Our elementary principals sat in all of the task force meetings as members of the committee and they were insistent that the teachers needed more to work with the students. That was a biggie. So you kind of decide from year to year, what are the main things that we would be looking for if we were to buy a brand new curriculum? And you can kind of make those into like a little chart that you use to review two or three different companies at a time.
0: Yeah. How deeply do you go in your review towards the philosophical side of teaching? Like, do you evaluate a textbook based on the recommended teaching strategies, the opportunities for critical thinking, Bloom's taxonomy, death of knowledge, that kind of stuff? Or is that more of a teacher responsibility and how they use the textbook?
1: I would say some of that, but that's not our overriding concern. By the way, with your committee going through the book, they are the teachers. As they flip through a book, They're going to get a general feel for some of those kinds of things and the book's overall usability, the style and usability of the book. And they're going to give you great feedback just off the cuff. I take a lot of notes in these meetings Mm -hmm. because we refer back to those notes. And when a teacher's flipping through a book for the very first time, because I just handed it to them, um, and they say, oh, I really like this i write that down okay you know we've observed something here that probably is significant i remember last year brand new math teacher she opened the uh, teacher's manual from a christian company and she thought she died and gone to math teaching heaven because she didn't know it was possible for a book to have that many suggestions for biblical integration
0: Wow! (laughs) just
1: like oh if i had this book this would be so wonderful Well, I wrote that down as an observation about the content of that book. Yeah. As far as content is concerned, where it gets super scary is in some of the philosophical things that we would not be endorsing in our school because they would not align with the biblical worldview. So I went to the library the other day and I was picking up some books for a teacher, but there was a new novel from an author I've never heard of. They were, you know, trying to get people to check it out. So it's on the counter. I'm a book person. So I grabbed it. I'm looking through it. And the librarian had never read it, so she couldn't give me any advice. And so I was just very honest. And I told her, I said, there are certain things that I do not choose as a believer in Christ to overly expose myself to in novels. So like I'm flipping through the book, you know, and I can get a feel for the content. If I suddenly while I'm flipping come across a scene and I'm like, "Oh no, I don't care to spend my leisure time reading about that," then I know to put that book down. I read books from cover to cover for the students. I'm much more thorough. But in my own personal life, I have standards for myself that I believe are Christ-honoring, and so I do that little check. Well, That is a far riskier business in textbooks today. How are you going to be able to pick up a math book and use that same browsing method and guarantee that your eyes are going to perhaps fall upon that hot button thing that you would not want students to take home from your school? Yeah. And that's not really even going to be possible. So with thoroughness. So I think I might be jumping ahead here on our list, but at our school, we have been burnt by that. We purchased rather hastily a couple years ago, some curriculum for summer school usage. It included some videos, instructional videos to start the lesson with each day. And the speaker in the video was somebody who was very blatant about his personal views on sexual identity. It was not something we wanted to use for our students. It it was not in line with our biblical views. And thank heavens, the summer school teacher was previewing these videos at home. It never got to the student level. But of course we had paid for the curriculum, not realizing that this might come up. And really, I'll be honest, in this case, It came up in a very unexpected way that you would not even about looking for. Yeah. And it seemed unnecessary to what the students were supposed to be learning. So that really has taught us a valuable lesson to be extra vigilant in some of these areas that are really becoming actually very controversial in the whole world of education. I'm interacting with a gentleman right now, another ACSI school in California, and he was looking for some help with curriculum review cycle. And I said, oh boy, I'm thinking to myself, he's in California and they're on the cutting <laughs> cutting edge and not in a good way on these things. I've done a lot yeah. of reading about this, so I know what they're dealing with. And it's going all the way down to like the kindergarten level. Yeah. So I told him, I said, you're going to have to be extra careful about any books you would consider from a secular company because of everything political that's going on in your state. And I tried to ask our representative from a secular company last spring to, I explained what our philosophy was. I did that in a way that I felt would honor God, but be honest. You know, I don't want to give the Lord a bad name by acting like we're some, you know, radical, crazy people or whatever. But I just said, this is our mission. This is what we stand for. So we are looking for things that align with this will you please tell me if in your curriculum, I might run into some things that could be a problem. And she was told by her bosses, she could not answer that question. Oh, wow. They were afraid of being sued by someone. Yeah. She couldn't put it in writing and she was going to check to see if she could tell me orally. And they said, no, she was very vague and evasive. Well, We took the plunge anyway with this curriculum because I didn't think she was trying to hide something. I got the sense she was just being truly overly cautious. Yeah. And it's math for goodness sakes. Yeah. Now, the question I asked her was in the context of word problems in your math books, is your company's philosophy such that you would want to draw in a lot of family types that are being promoted in the world today just... In the course of asking a word problem, she really didn't even want to answer that question, but kind of came around to eventually saying no. So you do all the vetting that you can. And then with a new curriculum, of course, you've already taken the plunge and you've purchased it, but got to be really firm with your teachers. You're not showing any videos and you're not presenting any lessons you haven't checked out first because you are the gatekeeper. This is a new curriculum. We're not handing you this book and promising you that 100% of this material will align with our mission. You need to be on top of that. If something comes up, you report it to us and then you determine at my age level, can we use this as a point of conversation in the classroom and critical thinking or do I need to just skip this entirely?
0: Mm-hmm. That was a really good overview of just some of the landmines that you mm-hmm. can find in curriculum. I mean, even down to word problems and math and hidden agendas in social studies and science, while well, language arts even. But then on the other side of that, because I enjoy visual arts, it'd be easy for me to chase after the shiny things. This is a beautiful textbook. It has beautiful pictures. It has great fun video resources. How do you not let the shiny things have too much influence in the process.
1: I don't know. I'm a pretty big fan of the shiny things too. I'll tell you, Michael, <laughs> and here's the thing, but we'll give that an official name that makes it sound better, okay? Readability. Okay. If the book has no appeal to the students, the, then the battle is half lost. The teacher's gonna be up in the front, you know, and be her in-person version of TikTok in order to just get everybody's attention or something. You want a book that's going to be appealing and engaging. And pretty much everybody's really running after that these days, secular and um, religious publishers. So I was comparing these three physical science books last week, and I was actually asking myself that question. Now, the layouts were slightly different. For example, one book had these really cool sidebars where not only did they list the vocabulary of the chapter, but it was defined in the sidebar. Another book had no listing of vocabulary. A third book had the words, but no definitions. So you see, you look at that stuff and you think, well, man, I kind of like this one with the definitions. How great is that? Of course, you yeah. never know. You don't really know if the average freshman is going to think that's exciting. But My
0: kids are in Singapore <laughs> math for the first time. And, you know, Singapore math has a pretty strong reputation. You can stand on its own. But I've been overwhelmed, even shocked at how bland their workbooks look that's the workbook it's not the textbook but the workbooks are just black and white basic i'm working with my third grader thinking there's no color here and i would be it for me i'd be like black and white workbook no let's do the colored one and it's not necessarily a testament to the value of the process or the curriculum so that it would be easy to be distracted by but
1: that. it is a component absolutely there's a whole philosophy there in the publishers especially in the math area that go black and white only i know they have a philosophy and good reasons for what they're doing but we are going to be working in the classroom with a lot of different kinds of learners Mm -hmm. and so a book that's got the pictures the use of color the font size and selection is appealing there's little sidebar things you know added little tidbits I'm kind of a fan of those types of books because I think that's going to have a wider appeal. And if a book is not appealing to the student, then they're not going to be wanting to go to it. Absolutely.
0: No, I agree with you. And after all, we are competing with screen time, six to eight hours mm-hmm. a day. I think most students, my goodness, let's help them out every chance we get. Give them a little bit of color in their life if we can, right? <laughs> so then step six is the publisher presentation. We've talked around that mm-hmm. quite a bit, but I think that does underscore your story about the publisher who couldn't answer the question the value of having access to someone to ask questions provided that they can answer them or are willing to answer them. What are some of the questions that you typically ask a publisher or how do you maximize the use of that time during the presentation period?
1: Wow, you just really even gave me a good idea too. I think I'm going to add this to my sheet, build a relationship with your representatives because they are your front line for information. And you end up choosing a curriculum, you're going to have an ongoing relationship with them, not just because you're going to be going to them to purchase your materials, but also when anything comes up that's a question, after you get your materials, that's going to be your go-to person. And you want to make sure that they're going to be readily accessible to you. Bless the teacher in our school today who came to me and said, Hey, with that new math curriculum we have, I see on the line I can print out this little class report because she's assigning things in math on the web version of the program. She said, But I want to print out individual data reports that I can give to the parents now. Doesn't that sound slick? In, in my mind, I'm thinking, Well, that's beautiful, but I don't know if the company has that. In 10 minutes this morning, I made a phone call and they had sent me a link with the instructions for how to do that. And so that was great. And I loved that I got the help so swiftly and I got the answer that I needed so quickly. So, you know, that's kind of a component, too. And another thing you're going to be talking to that publisher about are even things that are practical, like price. For example, if you do decide to go all in and make a major change, and you're going to buy hundreds of new textbooks, what is the price point going to be, and what might they be willing to throw in for free, so to speak? So one of the things I discovered is that some of these larger publishing companies might be the most expensive because they are giving you so many different things with the curriculum, but they might also be quicker to give you quite a significant discount on your final product. So yes, it's a little bit more money, but not as much as you thought it was going to be. So you really want to work with your rep on things like that too. But I guess I didn't really answer the question as far as what kind of questions we ask when we're Zooming with the person, we try to all have the textbooks open in front of us. Now we're Zooming with this company. We've got their books open. The teachers on the team are looking through the books as the person is presenting. And then whatever comes up, they can just call out a question. Like, what standards do you align with? Or is there somewhere we can see your scope and sequence? And anything they see in the book that they have a question about, they can call it out then in the Zoom meeting. And that's another time when I'm taking a lot of notes. Primarily, I'm taking notes on what my team is saying to that person and what kind of responses they're getting back because that's drilling down to the main things that we're looking for and they're answering our questions about that so we know how that's all lining up.
0: And then at some point, it comes time to make your final decisions, narrow down the choices, decide what textbook you're going to use. How much fear and trepidation goes along with that? (laughs) Like, this is at least a one-year commitment, maybe even a five-year commitment in some cases. It was scary. It
1: was because when we made our final decision about our math curriculum in April, I had never myself made a decision of that magnitude before. And I might add, and maybe this wouldn't be every school situation, but our head of school never got involved in this decision. Mm. (laughs) Now, when I say that, I don't mean he wasn't checking up on me, but never got involved, never questioned it. Now, maybe that's a little bit inaccurate too, in that when I discovered what it was going to cost, I kind of ran some figures by him. Because I was thinking I didn't want to be picking something we could not afford. Mm -hmm. So there was that conversation. But yeah, that moment was big. And so, well, I took the wimpy approach and I decided I would not have a vote. Now, I'm really not blaming others. But really, in the end, I didn't vote. Uh, We did vote. It came down to two companies, although I would have to say it's kind of like a jury room. After some final discussion, everybody did say, you're right and let's go this way. There was a unanimous feeling. There were some that like one over another for some certain things, but there was a real unanimous decision in the group as to what to do. And we went all in and purchased something brand new for grades K through nine, so it was an extremely significant and costly decision for us. Mm-hmm. So much so, by the way, we are able to use state funding in the math area for this, but we also discovered from the publisher that we could, we could split the payments. So we have yet to make the final payment. We'll be making that very shortly. Yeah. Which was very nice. They were willing to send us everything for all grade levels, all classes with a promissory note and a payment of 50% up front. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. It made it more affordable for us because we've bought in on a three-year plan with this math curriculum. The cost covers three years worth of textbooks and three years of digital licenses for the whole school. So yes, we split the payment across two years, but it's not like we're going to somehow have these overlapping payments because now we're paid up for three years. Like you said, you're making a big decision for your school and you're making it for a number of years. And it will need to be closely monitored to know whether or not in the end it turned out to be a good decision for us.
0: Yeah. So is it common to have that level of consensus among the task force, the review committee, or do you often have a hung jury or a split vote
1: we pretty much can come to a consensus this was the biggest decision we've ever made as a school because some years you're going to review a curriculum and you're not going to change every grade level uh, i'll give you a history as an example history is not does not get as much time and also in the state of ohio it's not a subject for testing anyway mm. so it gets a little less time the selection process is a little different because it's lower on the priorities You might be very happy and satisfied and have no reason to change your history curriculum in grades, let's say K through six or something. But then as you look up at your 10th grade, you think, oh, no, this world history book has been out of print for five years. There's some stuff in it that's really kind of sorry. It's not covering some things that we really would like to be introducing in the classroom. We definitely need to go after a new world history book. So in that year, you're not even making a decision that's that big. You're only looking to change a few books at a few grade levels. And probably the people who will have the biggest impact on that decision then will be those teachers at that grade level.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So you go through the whole process. You make your decision. You order the books. The books arrive. And that's where the real work begins, isn't it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so everybody who's listening to this should know Michael and I discussed this right before we started taping because I told him that this is the part I didn't see coming. (laughs) In my blissful ignorance, I thought, I am going to encrypt these teachers with this amazing product. They are going to rise up and call me blessed and embrace it fully. And I might as well just have an extra coffee break in my office because my worries are over. (gasps) okay so the first challenge to that is in comes a whole bus full of new teachers and what school isn't experiencing that right now yeah so you've got all these folks and some of them have never taught beyond student teaching they have to get into the routine of even learning a curriculum for the very first time Uh, but In my blissful ignorance, I thought everyone was going to grab this thing and run with it. And that didn't happen. Because as we mentioned earlier, there was still the strange temptation for some to avoid the work of digging in and learning the new curriculum. And instead, let's just grab something quick from the Internet. And that was so horrifying to me. I have... Sing the praises of a couple teachers at our school. One who happens to teach high school math, and one who is brand new. He has never taught a day in his life. He's always wanted to be a teacher, and it's like a second career for him. He's teaching our middle school math. I said to him, "Hey, Jason, you can be the guy who learns this and then shows everybody else." And he took that seriously. He had his classes set up in the online portion before anybody even said how to do it. He figured it out. And he fully embraced everything. Meanwhile, down the hall, unbeknownst to me, were people that were not using some of the components of the curriculum, a little picking and choosing, well, I'll do the right page, but my own way, so to speak. And I was like, oh, dear, no. Now, a couple of reasons why I don't feel that we should just go ahead and let teachers do whatever they want once they have the new curriculum in hand. First of all, what in the world did you spend all that time reviewing curriculums for to get them the best product possible, only to have them only half use it? Yeah. Second of all, how will you ever evaluate the effectiveness of the curriculum if they're not fully using it and all of the available components? There might be a math teacher in a certain grade who thinks, well, I know there's a video to introduce every lesson, but I showed one and I didn't think my kids liked it that much. So I'm not really using the videos. Hello, the videos were made to be a component of the teaching process. They're not replacing the teacher, but they introduce the concept of the day. You need to use all the components of the lesson or how will we ever know that we have made an effective choice for our students? Uh, You don't want to have that hit or miss approach. I'm happy to say that when I circled back to that teacher, she was fully embracing the use of the videos and doing so very effectively. And I think she needed an extra nudge to recognize somebody more scholarly even than you wrote this curriculum. There were many scholarly people who come together to write these things. We need to trust them. If we buy their product, that means we trust them to know the best way to educate our students in this content area. And we need to use the product as it was intended. So I'm in the process right now of scheduling little observations. I'm not the person who observes you because I don't sign contracts or determine paychecks. I'm not a hiring and firing person but I am your (laughs) implementation enforcer. So I am coming around to check on your implementation of the new curriculum. And sometimes after school, I'll just go down the hall and pop into a teacher's classroom and have a quick chat with him or her as to their opinion on how it's going with the new curriculum. What feedback are you getting from parents? What are you hearing from parents about this new math curriculum? How are you feeling? I asked a teacher this last week, what do you like about it? What do you dislike about it? Now, she could have told me anything, but I was delighted that she said so far she doesn't dislike anything. Mm -hmm. So I've learned that I can't assume there's going to be a full implementation without some checking up so to speak. And you can do this as a school if you can't afford or it's not available otherwise. But with the curriculum that we bought, they provided professional development, Zoom version, but professional development, two hours for implementation, which we did in the spring. All we had were the teacher's manuals at that point. And we just did three hours last month. So the teachers taught the new curriculum for a month, and then they got a three-hour PD and mm. that was really good because that really brought a lot of things together for him. So again, we bought something from a big company. So yeah. that's a fancy perk that you might not get from just everybody. And it did cost us pretty significantly to do that.
0: But that's value add though, right? That's worth it.
1: Big time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Wow. Absolutely. So a question, and I don't want to make this unique to your setting, but if you were to predict which teachers are going to embrace the new textbooks and dig in and figure out how it's intended to be used and try to use it with fidelity versus those who are like, well, I'll draw from it and I'll just do my own thing. What kind of teacher is more likely to be that second teacher that do their own thing, but maybe not adopt with fidelity?
1: A couple of different kinds. I think you have to Work closely with your teachers that have taught for a long time and may already be very comfortable with all the notes and projects and assignments they've developed over the years for use in their classroom. And if they've been teaching the same thing for a long time and you're giving them a new book, you want to make sure they're actually using that and not still just teaching (laughs) what they did for a long time. Yeah, it would have been
0: my prediction too.
1: (laughs) They're going to need some extra encouragement. Do that in a way that
0: doesn't diminish their experience and the value that they bring. That's not easy.
1: Here's something you might not have thought of too, but I believe a teacher who has gone back to school, who has taken some additional classes, possibly at the graduate level, either out of just a desire to stay current in their field, or maybe because they were pursuing another credential. People that are circling back to a college or university are going to be more wired to embrace new things Mm. because you learn new things when you go to college. Yeah. Now, granted, that was my life experience, and um, I've spent a tremendous amount of time at the college level, yeah. and I know that it forever changed my life as a teacher and as a school person. Really, it did. It was very, very transforming experience for me, but anybody who's taken even one or two classes and is keeping current in the field is going to be primed more for new things than the person who just got hired in August and the person who's been there for 20 years. And we need those folks. They have some wisdom of the ages to share with the newbies, but they might be kind of inclined to just keep doing what's comfortable versus embracing some new methods and some new materials. The other people that I'm concerned about are the brand new teachers who are overwhelmed, but part of their feeling of being overwhelmed is the fact that they had the terrible misfortune of growing up in this current generation. If they'd have had my parents, <laughs> 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 we were so wired that your whole mission in life was to work hard. And that when you got a job, you gave it everything to keep it. And, Well, we're not wired that same way anymore. So they might be tempted to be thinking about their quality of life outside of the workplace to the extent that they're not really putting in enough time with those teacher's manuals. We are really fighting that fight at our school right now. So much so that I'm secretly planning to ask our head of school to up the number of mandatory hours in the building next year. Because I feel like these new teachers are not engaging with these manuals. So that's a thing. Because they're thinking about quality of life that never really occurs to me. And they want to get out that door. Yeah. If you want to take the manual home, that's fine. But when I see them going out the door, long before I ever even imagined that it was time to go home, I don't see them loaded up with teachers' manuals. And they've got to learn... That part of choosing to be a teacher is your own personal study to prepare your lessons.
0: Yeah, that's a little bit of a surprise for me because I am on that mindset of if I'm a new teacher, because I've been there, you have to work hard to get up to speed. So I predicted in my mind that the new teachers, the teachers who are new to your school, new to teaching, new to Christian education, were probably the ones who were embracing it with gusto.
1: That overrides it all. That's what we are up against right now with a new generation of teachers that we're hiring. Teaching is a huge job. The boundaries of it could gobble up your whole life. And I am not saying we should let that happen. But when you go into a teaching career, you need to go into it with your eyes wide open to the fact that it's not like a factory job. There will always be work to take home. Yeah. If you are trying to make it into a factory job, you're not really doing the job because you are not even allowing yourself the time you need to be properly prepared on a daily or weekly basis
0: or comparing what you're living through with what you're seeing your friends doing on social media. Social media is not real in the first place. Have you considered, or maybe you do this, but the value of, or would you recommend the task force, the curriculum committee to reconvene at a certain point to reevaluate the decision? What does that look like?
1: Oh my goodness. I love that idea. I'm writing it on a sticky note right now. Okay, i I not be able to have eye contact for a minute. <laughs> All right, that is so good. Clearly, I hadn't thought of it. Why do you think that would be valuable? <laughs> I, apparently, you like the idea, but Yes, why? I love it. Too soon right now, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe mid-year or more likely even end of year for a first-year evaluation, regrouping, especially to go back to the very people who made the decision <laughs> and even ask some questions like, you made this choice, you did it with some expectations. Has this change met your expectations? Do you think it's working well? What do we still need to work on? Because my boss, if he were standing right behind me, would say the teacher is a curriculum. That's a big philosophy with him, and I get that. So it's not just that we equipped you with materials, but do we also need to evaluate The teachers use of those materials across the grade levels and make some changes even in presentation or if you got to the end of the year and you didn't get to some of the chapters and you found out whoa that one i skipped was really important so a reconvening would be really great i suppose the most tragic thing that could happen would be to say this is awful and we wish we hadn't picked it i don't really imagine that happening
0: Yeah. Could also be an opportunity to say, here's what we've discovered that we like and sharing tips and tricks that they've picked up from their colleagues or their own use. I think everyone assumes that no curriculum is perfect. No resource is perfect. What are we identifying that we might need to supplement this early process?
1: Absolutely. And teachers that have maybe been stronger implementers could encourage those that use the curriculum but could do a better job to maybe expand their skills the next year too.
0: Absolutely. Good. What a valuable process. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. I
1: didn't really explain this at the beginning, but I would like everyone to know I don't think I'm the be all end all. And probably compared to some people, I would still be considered relatively new to this field. It does happen to be what I studied in graduate school and I've got a solid five years under me now. So I have gained some experience, but I'm just really passionate about helping others because I have been in education for a long time. I don't think I know it all. I'm always open to new ideas from other people. But I'm also really passionate about the idea that if I can help somebody, I would love to do so. Yeah,
0: and that's why we like to have you on The Teacher's Lounge, Dr. Mungins. thanks for sharing your thoughts and your experience and your passion and your opinions. Those are valuable as well.
1: (laughs) I've got a lot of those, maybe too many.
0: (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for dropping by the Curriculum Track Teachers Lounge today. We hope this conversation helped you feel more connected to like-minded educators and provided you with a thought, an idea, or even just a smile as you seek to do all that you can for all of your students. If you found this conversation to be helpful, do us a favor and rate this podcast. Also, be sure to share it with others. We would be grateful to hear from you with any ideas, questions, or thoughts that you may have. You can find ways to connect with us at CurriculumTrack.com.